So our next reading comes from the book of Matthew. Chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Let us continue to listen to the word of God. Then Peter came and said to him, Rabbi, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. For this reason, the sovereignty of heaven may be compared to a master who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold together with his wife and children and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell to his knees before him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave as he went out came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, pay what you owe. When his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? In anger he handed him over until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Abba will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Here ends the reading from Scripture. So this morning we have freedom stories to think about. They are also sticky stories, meaning we can get stuck wondering about other things than freedom. We might even miss the mighty power of God to free us from all that ails us. For instance, in that story about Moses, the Red Sea, and the Exodus from Egypt, any of you who are of my generation might see Charlton Heston acting the Moses part and get completely distracted by other thoughts. Or some might wonder if this miracle really happened or if it was a natural event of some kind that science can explain. Or you might begin to sorrow for the poor Egyptian charioteers and certainly for all those horses. 
Why do we tell old stories like this one? Why do our Jewish friends and their ancestors in the faith tell these stories every year, over and over again, forming the faith tradition in which their children live? I've been thinking these thoughts more this year as we attempt to offer a Sunday school class for our elementary age children. I've been paging through resources I have not looked at for years. I stumbled across a picture of a Moses quilt with pictures of all the stories of his life made by young children and then stitched together by someone with the skill of our own Betty McNeil and then hung in a museum. Do we tell these stories to stir up enmity between the Jews and the Egyptians? Or is the point carried in the final verse of the passage that Michael read for us? Israel saw the great work that the Holy One did against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Holy One and believed in the Holy One and in his servant, Moses. We tell the story of Moses and the Exodus because it was the first mighty act of God by which the Israelites came to know God, the one who gave Moses the holy name Yahweh, I am who I am. The first mighty act of God was to free an enslaved people, to let God's people go. We, on the other hand, may first come to know God as creator of all that is. But for the Israelites, held against their will in the burning hot rock quarries of Egypt, freedom was the longing of their hearts. God spoke loudly to that desire and brought them out of that oppression. Many an aching heart today of oppressed persons hear in this story hope, which is living water to them. This story is a two-edged sword, as are many of the stories we read in Scripture. What if, in the context of our time in history, we find ourselves numbered among the oppressors rather than the oppressed? This story is frightening, as it reminds us that the great wheel of history keeps on turning. Maybe not so literally as the people in the Middle Ages thought, but still mighty empires fall as surely as they rise in the pages of every history book ever written. Some people call it faith. Others see the finger of God at work. A story of liberation for some can be a cautionary tale for others. Jesus speaks about this truth in his parable told in answer to Peter's question. And we tend to love Peter 
because he is an impulsive disciple and often asks the question others are too shy to ask. Peter also likes to look good. When he asks if one should forgive seven times, he figures he's going way past the old eye-for-an-eye kind of ethic he may well have been raised on. He may have been told to avenge every slight so that his clan would be seen as strong. Jesus, of course, talks about loving everybody, so that probably he means we should love first, forgive and forgive. But certainly, Peter thinks, at some point, he will need to avenge the wrongs done to his family, right? Jesus sticks to his hard-to-live ethic. No, Peter, you must continue to forgive forever and ever. He reminds Peter that God has already forgiven each one of us for everything we've ever done. Everything washed clean is clean already. So forgiveness is our path rather than vengeance. Even for the worst cruelty we can imagine, the worst. How can this be? This is not practical, it's not sensible, it's not possible in our world, full of nuclear weapons in the hands of unstable governments, not possible in a world where ISIS does such horrific things. What is Jesus talking about? Who would follow such a person? Jesus preaches the kingdom of God. His whole ministry is focused on revealing God's mighty acts in the world, as it is right now. Jesus invites everyone he meets to live in this kingdom where God's power is evident in compassion for neighbors, even the ones who have become enemies. Jesus commands his followers to forgive them, always. If we don't, bad things will happen, worse things than we can even imagine. The hindsight of history sometimes helps us to understand what is so difficult to understand as a Korean missile flies over the sea over the island nation of Japan, or someone detonates a bomb on the tube under London's busy streets. You've probably heard about the Ken Burns film that's going to be shown tonight, beginning called The Vietnam War. Fifty years ago, I was 22. That's a long time ago. And the men of my generation faced stark choices. The draft was a real and present possibility. There was a lottery. Low numbers went first. If you think we are a divided nation now, those of us who were alive then Remember families torn asunder, 
riots in the streets, a college lab blown up, National Guard troops firing, live ammunition on college protesters. And now we come to today. Today, North and South Vietnam are one country with whom we have trade agreements. We speak of being allies of a sort. How did that happen? Many soldiers who survived to talk about such things remind us that avenging wrongs with gunfire solves nothing that eventually people must assemble around some table and talk of peace, even if it takes 50 years, as it has in Colombia, down in South America. Truth and reconciliation commissions will be formed. Forgiveness will be sought and given. Is it possible to live in the kingdom of God in our world today? Has it ever been possible in all the long years of history since Jesus preached 2,000 years ago? Probably not for us mere mortals with our bruised and wounded hearts full of anger and pain. But the good news of Jesus that he preached reminds us of God's power to liberate us from an Egypt enslaving us, and from the vengeance we nurse so carefully to fuel our anger. And so we tell stories. I heard one at the Fromm Institute of Lifelong Learning, where people my age go to school. I'm taking a course called The Holocaust and Other Genocides. We are not a large class. They also offer classes on musicals and other such things. But listen to this story. It's about a man named Raphael Lemkin, a Polish Jew who was born in 1900. And he grew up hearing about the plight of the Armenians who were slaughtered in the hundreds of thousands by Turkish soldiers. And he wondered why there was no word to describe this awful event. He grew up to become a philologist. That's got something to do with loving words. He studied etymology, where do words come from, how do they form, what do they mean, all that kind of stuff. And he finally discovered there was no word for what had happened to the Armenians, but he would make a word. He put genos from Greek, meaning tribe or nation, and side from the Latin, meaning murder, put them together, and he made the word we all know, genocide. And then he lobbied to get that behavior codified into international law by action of the United Nations. And finally, in 1950, 20 member states had signed it, and it became international law that you cannot go to war to grab territory and kill all the people that used to live there. Now, we were very slow to sign on to this treaty because we feared some people would think we were being hypocritical given our treatment of the Native Americans. 
But we are now signatories. So I want you to think in your mind, what president signed that treaty? I'll give you a clue. It was 1986. Uh -huh. It was President Reagan. President Reagan signed that treaty. Now that's a good story because it makes it illegal going to war to take land. Now does that stop it? Of course not. But we've taken this one baby step to name that evil and to say on paper it's wrong. It's a baby step toward the kingdom Jesus preaches. So we tell the story of the Exodus and we remember Jesus in the kingdom of God where love and forgiveness rule in order to be part of the movement of change for the better. This may feel like a lonely and foolish journey, but in truth, many have walked this way before us and will follow us if we keep telling the stories. All the vast cloud of witnesses we call the communion of saints. God's power leads us like a pillar of fire and protects us like a pillar of cloud. The company is full of joyous stories which help us survive and indeed thrive even in a time of painful disorientation. This is the kingdom of God. Amen.